I'm going to kill it on this episode, bro. You're going to murder it. Are you prepared for me to kill it? I'm expecting you, and I'm looking forward to you absolutely murdering the shit out of this episode. Are you ready? I'm, I'm never ready, Kevin. How am I going to kill it? How else can I kill an intro? Go on. Okay. I've not prepared this. I don't know how this is going to sound. I'm going to regret this. I know I'm going to regret it, <laughs> but I'm going to try it. Try it. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. I'll use small words that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. What did you say? You are a sad, strange little man. Don't call me stupid. Yo, 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 check it. Mm-mm. Welcome to The Best Bits. I'm Kevin, you know the rest of it. And I'm joined, once again, by my freaking co-host, cohort and friend, Will Collins, on the mic. Talking films are fun, and also shite. Podbus. Films are fun. Shut up, Podbus. Mm, yeah. Each week I pick our favourite scenes, from a big spinning wheel of themes. Fight scenes, single take scenes, sex scenes, Santa Claus scenes. Why should I know these things? Do you know them? Do you know yeah. them? You're not better than Will, Will. So, sit back, relax, settle in, let's begin another episode. You're welcome. Films are fun. <laughs> oh, Kevin. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. <laughs> For a moment there, my God, I was watching the birth of a whole new music movement. You took me there, Kevin, with that... And I have to tell you, Will, that's about as much work as I've put in <laughs> to this episode. Are we winging it, Kevin? Is that what's happening tonight? No, but you gave me best assassination scene last week. Yes. And I have slightly twisted it so that it's no best assassin scene. Okay. And I have ruled out ninjas and I've ruled out war zone snipers because I think right. that's too much ground to cover. Mm-hmm. But assassins, I think we can handle. And I think a way to do this episode is to do a top 10 of our favorite scenes that involve assassins. I like it, Kevin. Maybe if you did a top 10 and I did a top 10. I like it. and It'll have to do. <laughs> if we have, perchance, we have some overlap. Less editing. <laughs> Certainly less editing. You know what's going to happen? I'm just going to say, oh, that's my number 10 as well for everyone that you say. <laughs> but yeah, I have ranked my assassin scenes. I didn't put in an exhaustive amount of research into it, but I think I did enough. I looked at the scenes. I liked them and I put them in a list. So uh, I'm ready to uh, reveal them to the world, Kevin. How about you? Uh yeah, let's just get this episode done. End of the season, I'm fucking exhausted. <laughs> we still one more episode to do for the season. Still one more episode to do for the season. We do. Right. Okay, right. Let me see. We're going to do top 10 assassin scenes, counting them to our top preference. Right. I have no idea what your top 10 is. Okay. You don't have any idea what my top 10 is. I can tell you that I had a top 20, and I feel quite sure that I have overlooked so many amazing choices. I'm shocked. Fuck off. Bastard. <laughs> Can't. <laughs> Sorry to all our American what? listeners. I'm going to throw it to you. Right. Let's count them down. Okay. Do you have a number 10? 10. 10. 10. Number 10. I have a number 10. It comes from a film released in the 2000s, specifically 2009. It was directed by one Quentin Tarantino and also written by one Quentin Tarantino. It is from Inglorious Bastards. And the scene I am thinking of is excellent choice. The final assassination scene where our band of inglorious bastards execute the higher ranking tier of the Nazi party, including Adolf Hitler, Goering, Himmler, and all those things, in an incredible bloodbath and uh, a fireball. It is a fantasy, a controversial scene. It is a controversial scene. Aside from it being a great assassin scene, it's a controversial scene because the balls on Quentin Tarantino to do that. Yeah. To rewrite yeah. history in that way. I believe I covered it in a previous episode where I actually found a clip of him discussing yes, this Yes, jerkers. Yeah, obviously, <laughs> obviously, it was tear jerkers. <laughs> 
Um, what I really enjoy about assassin scenes or one type of assassin scenes is witnessing the mechanics of how the hit is laid up and how it plays out and also witnessing how things fall apart or don't quite go to plan. So I just love all the little pieces of this where we have the French projectionist who has her plot and we have Brad Pitt and his band who have their plot and they're kind of overlapping. Um, and it's it's gruesome and glorious and it's just, as you said, it's incredibly ballsy and it go, it, he really goes for it. It's a real showstopper. Absolutely, absolutely. And everyone was shocked. Everyone was shocked and didn't see it coming because how was he going to do that? But he did it anyway. So that's my number 10, Kevin. That is my number 10. Who wants to send a message to Germany? I have a message for Germany. That you are all going to die. And I want you to look deep into the face of the Jew who is going to do it. Very good. That's that's a really good one. Number 10, Inglorious Bastards. I remember reading the script to that as well and loving it. So I knew it was coming and it still yeah. wowed me. Oh, you oh, okay, of course, right. You read it before the film came out. Class. I Very did. Good. And you know what's funny? My number 10 is also a Quentin Tarantino film. Oh, right. Go on. Yep. It's Kill Bill. Oh, okay. Right. Very good. Which one? Well, in a bifurcated film Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2 there are so many great scenes from Beatrix Kiddo who is like the ultimate assassin but the one that I went for was the one that told me when I was in the cinema this is going to be a fun as fuck film this is going to really deliver And it was the first hit that Beatrix Kiddo enacts. And it's against Vivica A. Fox. And it's when she takes down the character that Vivica A. Fox plays. Pod bod. Vernita Green. Okay. Vernita Green. Wow. And it was a knife fight that took place within this suburban household. And I remember in the fight scenes episode, we talked about the scene in Haywire when Gina Carino is fighting Michael Fassbender and you feel those punches land and I feel like you feel them land in uh, this action sequence as well and it's a pretty brutal knife fight come on bitch and it sets up the possibility of a potential Kill Bill 3 if Tarantino ever decides to do it. It'll be that moment at the very end when she says to Vernita's daughter, It's not my intention to do this in front of you. For that, I'm sorry. But you can take my word for it. Your mother had it coming. You know, I'll see you in 20 years if you feel in a bad way about this. When you grow up, if you still feel raw about it, And we're coming up on 20 years. So, wow. Will we see it? I don't know. I don't think we will, but I'd love it if we did. Great pick because, yeah, as you're saying, the brutality of that scene, I'm not going to repeat what you just said, but I would love to see Uma Thurman picking up the samurai sword and that yellow jumpsuit again. Now's the fucking time! Kevin. Well, I really didn't think about who made what on my list. And my number nine. 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 Number nine. Is also a Quentin Tarantino film. <laughs> it's got to be Reservoir Dogs then, isn't it? No, it's Pulp Fiction. It's Pulp Fiction. Of course. It's the Jews yeah. and Vincent scene. It launched Samuel Jackson's career into the stratosphere. It relaunched John Travolta's career. But it's Samuel L. Jackson in this scene and his character Jules, which he's grandstanding dialogue and monologue and I will strike thee down with furious vengeance what what country are you from what? what what ain't no country I ever heard of they speak English and what 
What? English, motherfucker! Do you speak it? Yes. Then you know what I'm saying. Yes. Describe what Marcellus Wallace looks like. What? Say what again. Say what again. I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. Oh, my God. It's unbelievable. It's intimidating. This is the thing about certain hitmen, right? Most hitmen are functional. They're getting the job done, right? But I... I'm concerned about Jules because he likes the intimidation. He's kind of getting off on it, right? I knew he was a wrong one when I saw his hair. <laughs> the Brillo pad, the jerry curl. <laughs> He's putting that soul glow. He obviously yeah. wastes at least half a can of soul glow on it every fucking morning. <laughs> Excuse my effing word. Fuck's sake. I think it's a fantastic scene. Oh, the, what, you know, there's a little detail in it that I love, but also drives me crazy. It's when he asks the, the kids to, to wash down the burger with some of his tasty beverage and you hear him sucking on that uh, soda drink. <laughs> it's just, it's so agonizing. It's so <laughs> agonizing. And you can see his eyes kind of well up a little bit, obviously from the fizz, but it's incredibly intimidating. It's so impactful. It's, it's iconic. And I was restraining myself throughout that to jump in and say, that's also my number nine pick. But it's Is this? Not. It's not. <laughs> okay, it should have right. been. It should have been. But for diversity's sake, I'm not going to say Pulp Fiction as well. I went with Leon the Professional. No way. Yeah, the Lupuson film. And it's the end shootout that takes place <gasps> against Gary Oldman's SWAT team where he obliterates an entire New York SWAT force. It's a, a great scene, a great movie, and of course it gave us Jean Renault. Alpha team, man down, man down. And it gave us Natalie Portman, I her first you. big movie role. Vanny, bring me everyone. What do you mean everyone? Everyone! That's what he says. Kevin, you know, my number eight is. Eight, number eight. Don't say Leon. It's Leon the professional. <laughs> All right. Then my number nine is, is La Femme Nikita and it's a restaurant scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a different scene from Leon. I had the opening scene where okay. Leon yeah. comes into uh, a gangster's hideout and he takes out basically his entire squad. There's a guy who wants to talk to you. What's he look like? Serious. Tell him I'm coming up. He's coming up. Somebody's serious. He's emerging from the shadows. There's an incredible moment where there's a bodyguard and he's he's almost like a specter. You can't you don't know where he's coming from. Check the terrace! The bad guy is kind of panting. He's got his guns and he's just like backing up against the wall. And all of a sudden, Leon's hand emerges with a knife. And holds the knife to the bad guy's throat, and then slowly yeah. Leon emerges with those iconic shades, and just just over his shoulder, and speaks so quiet. I own this number, and it sets up that character as a cool badass. And also, that film kind of set up. Now I know that kung fu was a thing in 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 Hong Kong cinema, and you know all that. You know, cinema John Woo had done so much with it, but it kind of brought gun fu to Western mainstream cinema. I think Leon is uh, a huge. Uh, influence on uh, on that type of action scene. I wonder, is this going to be the only film that we have two scenes chosen from? I don't think so. If we've, I can't, it can't be. <laughs> it can't be. <laughs> My number eight is a comedy. Oh, very good. And it's one that I love the concept for. And a comparable film to it would be Water Roses. Right. One of those gold standard ideas for a movie. And I think they slightly bungled the ending. It was always going to be a difficult one to pull off. But I went with Mr. and Mrs. Smith as my number eight. You still alive, baby? Ah. Where you have the great conceit of having two assassins married to each other. And there's a hit put out on each of them. And they don't know that either one is an assassin. And... They are tasked with offing each other. And it has that great confrontation scene that leads into a sex scene. 
Stephen, I thought that Mr. and Mrs. Smith needs a mention. Doug Lyman directed it. Yes. I haven't seen it since the cinema and I really need to revisit it, Kevin. So I wish I could contribute something to this discussion about Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Well, I haven't seen that film in about 15 years and I can barely remember it, so I don't know why I mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> but I just had it down here as like a great concept of an assassin movie. Yeah. A bit of fun, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Seven. Seven. Number seven. What's your number seven? I have a number seven, and it's also coming from the 2000s. It is from 2004, directed by Michael Mann, written by Stuart Beatty. Oh, it stars I know where you're going. Tom Cruise, Jamie Foxx. It is collateral. That was also my number eight. Oh, <laughs> right? Really? I'm going to redo that <laughs> later on. That's my number eight as well, collateral. Okay. All right, okay. Collateral is another cool concept, right? It's about Jamie Foxx's character. He's a cab driver and he picks up a man who's called Vincent. The cool scene from Collateral, the one I love, the scene in a nightclub where things have gone wrong for Vincent's plan for tonight. He now has to bring Jamie Foxx into a nightclub to execute a hit on another mob boss. And Tom Cruise is moving through the scene like the T-800 in Terminator in that nightclub, Tech Noir from the Terminator. He is so clinical. He is so focused. He has got his target locked in. He is using Jimmy Fox as a distraction. And even when shit goes horribly wrong, because at that same moment, the FBI intruded in the scene. The, the gangster's bodyguards see the FBI there. Guns go off. All shit goes crazy. And yes, Tom Cruise is still moving like a panther. He is so focused. Even though the guys are going at him, all he wants to do is put two in the chest and one in the head. And when he does that, he just walks out of there like a goddamn robot. It's a class scene. And Tom Cruise is so cold. Like I, do, I actually think he looks fantastic in this scene, just as playing this cold, emotionless, driven, almost <laughs> psychotic killer. There's a great assassination scene when he goes up against the jazz player. Oh, and he's yeah. sitting opposite him and he basically tells him he's going to kill him. Yeah, It's just a shame for me that that film was shot in the early stages of digital photography. Yes. It really lets it down. Yeah. That was a great thriller. I agree with you, man. Great third act as well. It's so hard to watch that harsh lighting. What a cast. Yeah, fantastic. And just that, that bold choice to cast Tom Cruise in this role of a killer. I think it worked brilliantly. Drive, drive. If you haven't seen it, you have to forgive that early DV footage look. But you know, I wish they would have made it in with film. It would have looked amazing. It would have looked amazing. Really would. Kevin, what is your number seven? My number seven is in Bruges. Ooh. The film itself is my favorite of the McDonough films from either brother. It's my favorite. But I chose this, aside from it being a great story about two hitmen two neurotic hitmen, Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. Mm-hmm. I chose it because it's one of the moments where an assassin offs themselves. It's when Brendan Gleeson mm-hmm. tops himself at the end of it by throwing himself off the clock tower. Mm-hmm. It's got lots of twists and turns that film. It's got an amazing dialogue to a, a very paternal story between Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell where he saves him from himself. I love that film. I would recommend it to anyone that's looking for a good hitman comedy. You know, if we're back in... Extravision were recommending films to, to people. I would put that on the list. There's so many funny moments in it, but in that scene, that's an incredible scene where Brendan Gleeson, he's throwing himself off the clock tower, but there's a little detail where he takes the change out of his pocket and he just drops it. And I remember thinking, what is happening? And what he's doing is basically people on the ground are step back because all this change is falling. They're like, what is that? He's trying to basically not kill someone below. It's a lovely detail, isn't it? And they make it very poetic. He's a compassionate killer. When the angels the play he'd lose his wings at the dawn So I'm going to put in Bruges at number seven and that scene at the end, the clock tower. Six, six, number six. My number six, Kevin, is another fairly contemporary film from 2015, a Denis Villeneuve film, Sicario. 
I absolutely love Sicario, written by Taylor Sheridan. An FBI officer is tasked with, you know, trying to deal with escalating drug wars at the border between the US and Mexico. It has one of the most incredible slow car chases, which is absolutely amazing. Oh shit, yeah. It's yeah, great so scene. tense and brilliant. But the assassination scene I picked from this. Of the cartel family? Yes. We have Benicio del Toro yeah. who comes into the home of the cartel family. A, f- a cartel family who have done awful things. A sanctioned kill by the Americans. Despite all of the horrific things we've seen the cartel people do, we know they're monsters. They're evil incarnate in this world. In this moment, we have Benicio del Toro walks into a family sitting down and having their dinner. And they look like any other ordinary family. A husband, wife and two kids. And in that moment, Benicio del Toro is not the good guy. He all of a sudden is the is the the monster, the bringer of death into the sea. Yeah, the big bad wolf. He's the big bad wolf. Seemingly innocent kids and a wife be executed before he takes out the dad, before he takes out the leader of this drug cartel. It's cold. It's ruthless. It's ruthless. Every night you have families killed. And yet, here you dine. So now you should be no different. It wasn't glamorous, it wasn't glorious, it wasn't cool. It was just, it was ruthless, absolutely ruthless. Do you remember the scene in that movie where Emily Blunt is in danger and she's behind enemy lines in Mexico Mm. left behind I believe I'm struggling to remember the details now exactly but at the time I had a very strong take on it which is that Emily Blunt's character should have been set up to fail and fail in the most bloody of ways where she was being sent there to be killed by the cartel, a false flag operation. Mm-hmm. I felt that they could have gone a lot darker, a lot, lot bloodier with Sicario and have Emily Blunt's character captured by the cartel and beheaded. Oh, Jesus. Because that's what goes on. Yeah. And Josh Brolin, to allow that to happen, to not rescue her, to send her there to be killed mm-hmm. in order then to go right in there, all guns blazing. That's where I thought that film should have gone they, they sort of pull their punches a little bit, but it's still no less um, dark. And I think it's a, it's a psychological death that she's dealt at the end. Mm. But because of what was going on in Mexico at the time with all these horrendous reprisal killings, I thought that they could have gone a lot harder. Yeah, man. But it's a, it's a really great movie. And Taylor Sheridan, Jesus, that man is a machine. Yeah. What a career so far. What a fantastic career. That was my number six. So, Kevin, it's back to you. What is your number six? My number six is another fun one. It came out in 2014. It's written by Simon Barrett. It's directed by Adam Wingard. Oh. It stars Dan Stevens as a sort of yeah. quasi-robotic hitman yeah. who comes out of nowhere. He returns masquerading as a friend of a fallen soldier, infiltrates the family, and is a sort of a, a dark-hearted, positive influence on the son and daughter. Mm-hmm. The scene that I chose is where you get to see he is a ruthless killing machine in a scene of bloody mayhem when the guest unleashes on the task force that are coming to capture him and oh, he yeah. kills anyone that gets in the way. You know what was so fun? I watched that film a few years ago and I really have to revisit it because I don't know what mood I was in. I finished it. We watched it with my wife and she said, that was great. And I went, I didn't like that. (laughs) And I don't know why I didn't like it because it obviously clearly is fun and I revisited scenes. Because Dan Stevens was too hunky. Oh, maybe that was it. Maybe that was it. Because she was sitting beside me and she was Googling, star of the guest, Dan (laughs) Stevens shirtless? Yes, I will. <laughs> right. I was at the UK premiere for that. And, uh, five, number five. Oh, fuck off, Podbush. <laughs> Save it for Patreon. What's your number five? We'll move on. My next pick is from a director called Stefan Spielbergo. Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Senor Spielbergo. Sen- Senora Spielbergo. It is Jaws. 
<laughs> the shark. <laughs> yep. It's from 1990s The Hook. No, it's 2005's <laughs> Munich. I have no idea what scene that could be. This is the thing. There's so many potential assassination scenes in Munich because Munich is a true story about a group of Mossad agents who have been tasked with tracking down and killing those they believe are responsible for the kidnapping and execution of Israeli athletes in the Munich Olympics in 1972. And the whole film is about assassinations. The scene I'm picking, Kevin, is... Is the sex scene. (laughs) No, it's not the sex scene. That scene, Spielberg (laughs) killed it. Yeah. Has he ever done a sex scene? Don't think he, he did in, in Munich. It's oh, he, quite right. Okay, it's quite an integral sexy. Right, right. But the yeah. scene I'm picking is the phone bomb scene. Right, we have Kieran Hines, who's kind of the the leader of this group. We've got Eric Bana and his buddy, who are basically just planting C4 explosive charge in a duplicate phone, where we see them set it up. It's like a heist film, kind of. Yeah, where we see, yeah, you're, you're seeing how they go about this the brutal executions and it's not done in a completely cold manner the assassins in this case are fighting with their conscience you know they're fighting with the morality of what they've been sent out to do but this scene is incredibly tense because they want to just kill their target he's got a wife and daughter who he shares their apartment with so they want to set the charge off when they're out of the apartment and he's alone the idea is when the phone rings, they, uh, one of their guys, Kieran Hines, is going to ring the phone from a payphone across the street. Eric Banner is going to be the lookout to make sure everyone's gone. And once the target lifts the receiver, a red light goes on in the detonator, and the guy who's got the detonator in his hand, and he turns a key to explode the C4. They have like three false starts, where first of all, a truck comes in the way, and Eric Banner can't see... The, the guy's in the car. He can't give a signal to the guy in the car. So he's to oh, go over yeah. to him. Then he's to go back and he sees the family leaving. So he's going, okay, great. The family have gone. But when he goes back to his lookout spot, the family have reversed back in and the daughter's gone up, in, up into the apartment to get something. The phone is ringing. And so there's this whole big race to, don't trigger the bomb. They just get to the, the guy holding the dead ender to get him to stop before he turns the key. And we do finally see him executing their target. I just watched that again recently and I was struck by the trick shots that Spielberg does in that movie. They're all over the place. He blocks and frames things with yeah. these wonders. It's remarkable. When you were saying that, the one that I remember vividly is um, the girl on the canal boat, the, oh. the honey trap girl, who as soon as she realizes that she's about to be assassinated, she tries to entice them in a really sad pathetic way where she undresses herself and she's like trying to caress her breast and and they shoot her with that air pump for a bicycle they just like oh. pop pop and you just see these two little puncture wounds on her chest and that's it she's done it's a very very dark film for Spielberg mm-hmm. you have a great list here listen we're not comparing lists you're not better than we're sharing lists here Kevin that's what we're doing we are no I've given you my number five And I am quite eager and keen to know what your number five is, Kevin. I thought because I was picking a variety of different types of films, like I was wrestling with, should I go with Mr. and Mrs. Smith or Gross Point Blank for like a comedic one, the fun ones, the guest in Bruges. But killing people is quite brutal and it can be quite disturbing. And I don't particularly like realistic violence in films. It, It turns me off. And a lot of these assassin movies they double down on eliciting revulsion, mm-hmm. which is the right response, but it's not one that I revel in. Yeah. I sort of have to get through those scenes, but I thought I had to put one on this list. I didn't know whether I'd go with Casino with a head clamp or whether I'd go with the execution that takes place in Goodfellas where they're offing the guy who comes out of prison and they lock him in the, the pub and keep him there until they come back and they dance on his head. But I went with Kill List. It's another riff on an assassin story. Neil Maskell playing a contract killer being initiated into a devil's cult. He doesn't know it. It's directed by Ben Wheatley. Great story with a plot that I didn't see coming. Mm -hmm. But the scene that I felt sickened by was, oh God, I'm thinking of another one now. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's the problem with this. You're you're mentioning films that I'm like going, oh yeah, actually that's another good one from that film that I've already chosen. Oh my god, yeah. So there's there's too too many people get killed in films. That's the point I think that we're trying they to make. They do. It's the hammer kill in this where you actually see the hammer contact with the head and the head caves in. Oh, but the guy wants to be killed. What? It's part of initiating Neil Maskell's character into this cult. Jesus. It's a dark, dark fucking film and it's a horrible scene. But as I was saying that, I'm remembering two other ones which are equally as horrifying. In the same film? In different films. And it's Snowtown and Unprofit, the initiation kill that takes place in Unprofit, where he has to put the razor blades in between his teeth. Oh, shit. And he has to kill one of the the heavies within the prison system that film was so bloody heavy oh that I had to I had to pause it yeah. I watched it on video I had to pause it on DVD so my number five is four films <laughs> my number five is Casino <laughs> it's a Goodfellas it's Unprofit <laughs> and it's also Kill List am I remembering correctly that in Unprofit he had to practice we see him practicing removing yeah. the, the razor yeah. blade from between his teeth and he's cutting himself yeah excruciating it's amazing when a film can get under your skin to that point where you just it's an endurance mm. to watch it amazing f- filmmaking an incredible incredibly compelling film as well and going back to Kill List I just remember about Kill List the oppressive sound design how the shots themselves might seem pretty quite utilitarian but yeah. there was this there was a wall of sounds that you know when you, when the whole story is revealed in the you know towards the latter stages you realize why you were hearing the sounds you were hearing throughout and uh, yeah that's an impressive film as well jesus <laughs> the female lead in that Mayanna Boring she's quite distinctive looking and i think i had just seen the film quite recently when I walked into the Groucho Club to meet a friend of mine and she was sitting there and I went like, oh, hiya, as if uh, I knew her. Oh, really? <laughs> what did she do? Oh, sorry, I thought I knew you. And she laughed and said, no, it's fine. And I walked <laughs> on and I thought like, oh my God, because I was fully convinced that I knew her, oh, that God. I had either met her at some stage. And I was like, oh, hiya, how is it going? Oh. And then I thought, Hang on a second, that's an actress. I don't know that person. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> Come here, what's the Groucho Club? Is it like a, a fancy film hangout joint in London or something? It is, yeah. It's in so we walked past it when we were doing um, the Patreon episodes. Wait, did you, were you embarrassed to take me in? Why didn't you take me to the fancy film place, Kevin? It's a, it's a members <laughs> bar. Okay. Union club. Okay. But you'll see a lot of celebrities there. Um, oh, right. Okay. okay. I okay. once sat in there next to Idris Elba and Anna Friel. Oh, get your camera phone out. Very good, very good. I like a bit of juicy gossip. <laughs> Thanks, Kev. Four. four. Number four. My number four pick is ten films, right? Because I couldn't pick one. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. My number four is from The Godfather Part Two. Okay. Oh. It's the assassination of Don Finucci. The moment where we see Vito Corleone become Don Corleone. Yeah. Robert De Niro, who plays young Vito Corleone, makes an offer which Don Finucci does refuse to his detriment. There's a celebration going out in the street and we have an amazing shot where Robert De Niro stalks him across the rooftops. Yeah. He's in that amazing white suit. Yeah. Don Finucci's in that like almost cartoonish white suit with with his chest sticking out. But Robert De Niro hides at his door. He turns out the bulb. He twists the bulb very gently just to create shadow. Again, it's process, isn't it? You're getting to see how a killer kills. Yeah, just uh, thinking of, okay, I need to I need to create a shadow here. Just turn out that bulb. And he wraps a towel around a gun and he waits in the shadows. And, and it's all about tension because Don Finucci comes up and De Niro's pointing, pointing the gun at his back for a good, you know, forever. Don Finucci has enough time to even notice that the bulb is out and kind of screws it back in again and the light comes on he even opens his door and you're screaming at Robert De Niro either pull the fucking trigger or just run and um, yeah do and it do it do it Fanucci turns around and then De Niro approaches and he puts two one in the chest one in the face and then just to really add insult to injury he puts the gun in his mouth and blows the back of his head out I think it's 
Again, an example of incredible filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And a little detail afterwards with De Niro up on the rooftop, the process you're talking about of him smashing the revolver in two and dropping it down the the chimneys of the various, you know, chimneys around him. Again, process. It's fantastic. And also the violence is not glamorized here. It's brutal. There's a brutality to this. There's a brutality to Vito's actions, which is what transforms him from being a regular Joe Soap to being... Don Corleone. It's a great scene. What's your four? Well, I want to ask you first. Go on. We've talked now about executions and the mm-hmm. process of it. What would be your preferred way of executing somebody? Oh, Jesus Christ. Silk rope. What would be the my... The candelabra. Marbles on the staircase. What would be my preferred <laughs> way? I think I'd have to poison Kevin. I think I would have to do... I don't want to get my hands dirty. I don't want that's to get how, my hands That's started. how women kill in Game of Thrones. Yeah. Tell yeah, Cersei. I wanted to know it was me. Jesus, that would be a great one. Yeah. Oh, Lady Olena. Of Prince Joffrey. Do you mm. remember Prince Joffrey's one? Oh my God. I do. That was fantastic. What would be your preferred way of assassinating someone? Well, as people can already tell, having just listened to the intro earlier on, I like to kill people with laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, tickles, <laughs> tickles. I would tickle people to so, death. So it's a form of abuse. <laughs> My number four, Will. Will I get onto it? Get onto it. Get onto My it. My number four is from a film which is widely regarded to be absolute shite. Oh. Now, I know that people who have listened to my list so far and have thought, that's shite. And that's also shite. But this one has got terrible reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. That incredible website, which is the great arbiter of what is good and what is rotten. I think people are wrong and they're very harsh on it. And it's a film that was based on the novel by Cormac McCarthy. No, that's not right. It, it's a film that was written by Cormac McCarthy, one of his only screenplays. Oh, he's a novelist. He's a professor. He's an amazing writer. He wrote the, the book The Road, which was a very dour film. But he wrote this film for Ridley Scott, Starring Michael Fassbender, Cameron Diaz, Penelope Cruz, and Brad yes. Pitt. And the scene that I chose from The Counselor, yes. which I think is a great thriller, and it got maligned heavily, and I don't understand it. I'll put one caveat towards that, which is that I saw the director's cut, and usually with Ridley Scott films, the director's cuts are really transformative. So I didn't see the theatrical cut of this. The director's cut, I thought, this is a cracking movie. Yes. Really weird energy. But it was the assassination of Brad Pitt at the end of the movie when you think he's gotten away with it. And he's walking, strutting, actually, through London, thinking, I've done it, I've achieved my objectives, they never saw me coming. And we know, because the music is pulsating behind him, that he is a dead man walking. The death happens in the most gruesome of ways, which was set up earlier on. Mm-hmm. They tell us about a type of killing that is done with the cartels where they will put a a wire... A garage. It's on a a, a mechanism which keeps tightening and you cannot get it off. And it basically decapitates you. And that's what happens to Brad Pitt in the middle of London. Oh, Jesus. Ridley Scott has given us chestbursters. He's given us tops of heads being taken off in Hannibal. He is not a first to going all out and he goes all out in the sequence it's one of the most gruesome deaths I've ever seen in the cinema and he just passes without any notice and then Brad is out into the street yeah the tension is built he's out there he thinks he's getting cockier and cockier and then all of a sudden two runners pass him one from in front and one from behind and the guy from behind has got the, the, the garage and the one in front picks up the suitcase it's fucking awful and it kind of slices through his fingers horrible way to go awful and when the emergency services are lifting up the body after Spoiler long alert. dead yeah, well, it's not it's not loosely. His head comes off. Oh god. And you just kinda of have to lift his head up and put it put it on the on the on the stretcher. It's absolutely so gruesome. Wow. It is. Great pick though. Absolutely fantastic pick. Really Thank fantastic. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your number three? Three, three, number three. My number three 
is from a film from 2007, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. A fantastic I've film. I've never seen this film. Oh, fuck. It's a great film. And Do you know what Dominic I have film. seen, though? What have you seen? I've seen the parody of this with Yogi Bear. Oh. <laughs> really? <laughs> have you ever seen? No. They do a, a shot for shot recreation of the death at the end where he's standing in front of the wanted poster. Yeah. But it's Yogi Bear, the CG Yogi Bear from that movie oh, that Jesus came out and everyone Christ. forgot about before he gets his head blown off. An amazing film. An amazing film. The whole film is, you know, it's it's so juicy. You could watch it again and again and again. It's told from the perspective of Casey Affleck's character. He plays Robert Ford and Brad Pitt plays Brad Pitt again plays uh, Jesse James he gets whacked twice and inevitably he's going to be killed because that's the title of the film it's a wonderful film because we see Casey Affleck wanting to be Jesse James wanting to get that fame wanting to get that respect he gets so close to it and it all falls apart the further and further fame slips through his fingers and desperation slips in He's kind of left with only one option in his mind's eye. And that one option is the execution of the idol that he covets, the thing that he looks up to more than anything else. And it's a beautiful scene because it's so simple of Brad Pitt just seeing the picture is just slightly off. It's a picture of a horse. He gets up on the chair. He stands there and Casey Affleck draws his gun. Brad Pitt sees the moment. He sees in the reflection and the glass in the mirror, Casey Affleck pointing the gun at him. And then the brutality, again, the brutality of he gets shot. His head slams against the, the pitcher and he falls, collapses to the floor. And it's a heavy hit. See what I mean, boo-boo? What you gonna do about it, Yogi? It's a, the whole film, again, pivots on this moment. There's an after, there's a whole act after this moment as well. And it's really powerful. And Kevin, I highly recommend you watch it. An incredible film. And yeah, I, it's, a, it, it's not one of these assassinations that has a lot of process. It's more of an impulsive moment, but you can see it coming. It's an assassination that's telegraphed from the title. So before you even walk into the cinema. So yeah, that's my number three. Great. You're reminding me, as you're saying, about the impact of the, the head smacking into the glass. I'm remembering the death of Leonardo DiCaprio on The Departed when he's coming down in the elevator yeah. and Matt Damon just blows his head off. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, God, that was such a shock. Oh, that my was God, such a shock, wasn't it? Yeah, you reminded me. And the slow-mo of um, President Bartlett dropping in slow motion off the roof. <laughs> when that happened in, in the cinema, there was these gasps of anguish as you just saw him plummet in slow motion. Scorsese, he, he's, he's got chops. He's got, yeah, maybe. I think uh, he, he should stick at this filmmaking business. Now, <laughs> I gave you my number three. Right. What about you? We're, we're in your top three. My number three is one of my favorite murder mysteries. And it's all predicated on a murder plot that doesn't go according to plan. So it's a bungled murder. Mm -hmm. And it is Dial M for Murder, the Hitchcock movie. It's one of my favorite Hitchcock movies. I think I prefer it more than Vertigo. I think I prefer it more than Psycho. No, I do prefer it more than Psycho. Wow. I only like the first half of Psycho, to be honest with you. Really? As soon as Janet Leigh is killed, I feel that all the years let out the balloon. I'm not particularly that bothered by following Norman's character after that. Mm. The, the change in protagonist always puts me at a distance but yeah. Dial M for Murder is like a chamber piece Grace Kelly is targeted to be killed hello it's one of these movies that hello it's fantastic to watch on a cold rainy hello? night wrapped up on the couch curtains are pulled there might be the last embers of the fire just crackling away hello you're wrapped up you've got a, maybe got a blanket over you a weighted blanket are you feeling cosy are you feeling cosy Kevin yes you're feeling hello. very very cosy mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a bungled assassination hello when the guy is in Grace Kelly's apartment he's waiting to kill her and Grace Kelly ends up fending him off and killing him. And then it gets into all these different 
twists and turns and double crosses and triple crosses and no one does that better than Hitchcock yeah so Dial M for Murder would be my number three it's absolutely sacrilegious it's not sacrilegious sacrilegious <laughs> it is sacrilegious scrumptious mm, it's absolutely delectable that here's what I can say about all my picks they're yeah. class and they're cozy <laughs> 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 and they're juicy. Uh, I I can only remember the remake of that from the nineties, <gasps> A Perfect Murder. I can't remember the original at all. It was A Perfect Murder, wasn't it? Yes, and I've not seen it with Gwyneth Paltrow yeah, and uh, Michael Douglas. Michael Douglas. Yeah. yeah, don't bother. It's fine. <laughs> right, my number two, Kevin. Two, two, number two is from a film that has already been mentioned, but I don't think it's properly been mentioned on the list. Goodfellas. And my scene is the one where, not the one that you're picking, I don't believe. It's a scene where the tables are turned. We are not seeing the assassination from the the point of view of the hitman. (laughs) No, it's it's from the point of view of the victim. It's the scene where Tommy gets whacked. And it's one of my favorite moments in the film. It's one of the most tragic moments in the film. It's one of the most beautiful moments in the film. It's the beginning of the end. And it's a turning point. It's just when everything is going great. See, it's the highest honor they can give you. It means you belong to a family and a crew. It means that nobody can fuck around with you. It also means you could fuck around with anybody just as long as they aren't also a member. It's like a license to steal. It's a license to do anything. We see that Tommy's excises. Even though Tommy has been an absolute monster throughout the film, the last time we see Tommy, it's him with his mother, his sweet mother. She's so proud of him and she's kissed him goodbye. Robert De Niro's character, Jimmy, being so excited and the voiceover from Henry Cavill. As far as Jimmy was concerned, with Tommy being made was like we were all being made. We would now have one of our own as a member. The music is fantastic. That needle drop is absolutely impeccable as usual. And we see Tommy being pulled up in the Cadillac and he steps into the room. And as soon as that door opens, his last words come out. Oh, no. And it's so awful. It's and so... it's deserved. He was a bastard. <laughs> I felt pity. Not for him, but for the people he's left behind. His mother. And the way Jimmy is devastated by it after the fact. Incredible performance by De Niro where he's slamming the, the receiver down on the phone. And as the guys are telling him, oh, you know, it didn't happen. You know, there was complications. Great performance by De Niro. A fantastic moment. And I just thought I would flip it because it's an assassination scene from the point of view of the victim where we do not see it coming. And those are the best assassinations. The victims should never see it coming. So that's my number two, Kevin. They've got a great scene in that where Samuel L. Jackson gets offed. Oh, that's the montage. There's a whole montage of people getting offed. It's fucking incredible. Where did they place the squib? Was it like, because it, yeah. it looks like it comes right out of his head. This yeah. blast of blood as he falls onto the bed. There's also that great moment in Goodfellas where Lorraine Bracco's Karen mm-hmm. is going down to, to the textiles factory. Mm-hmm. She thinks she's going to get offed and she doesn't yeah. trust Robert De Niro. And because of all the violence that we've seen perpetrated in the film, we're with her. We feel tense. Mm. The rule has been set up that, you, you know, the person who's going to whack you is your closest friend. That's the, that's the rules of that world. Yep. Mm. So she was right to feel suspicious in that moment and it plays out brilliantly. So if either one of us gets whacked, everyone yeah. out there, you know, it's the other one of us that it was- did it. <laughs> or I will do you both. Shut your hole, partner. I don't have a hole. <laughs> My number two is a very clinical, dispassionate execution and it is from Tony Gilroy's Michael Clayton and it is the death of Tom Wilkinson Oh, where Tom Wilkinson is offed by these two contract killers who kill him and pose him and they prepare him in a way where it looks like he just had a heart attack so Tom Wilkinson opens the door to his apartment and you guys come in They stab him with a hypodermic. They carry him into the bathroom. They pose him. He is incapacitated. He's still alive. While he is aware of what's happening to him, unable to move, they are preparing a a scene that when he gets phoned, it will look like he just had a heart attack and fell. They're taking out his pills. They're putting him on on the sink and on the floor. They're taking off his sock. They're injecting him between the toes. 
they're, it's all on stopwatch. Put the socks back on and they walk back out the door without anyone knowing they were there. You realize that if somebody wants you dead, if they have enough money to do it, you're just getting killed and no one is going to question it. So it's that amazing assassination from Michael Clayton. And it's written in the script in almost a one-to-one translation. But yeah, and that's Jesus. a great movie as well, full wow. of twists and turns as well. Michael Clayton. Man, as you just described it there, I when you first said the title, I, I had a bit of a blank. I went, I've seen this in the, in the cinema, yet I couldn't remember the film. But as you described that scene, it came back to me. It was like how cold and calculating that moment was. And I think it was the image of the, the hypodermic needle going in between the toes. Yeah. Where that's where the poison went in. That was just like, oh shit, of course, no one's going to check there. No one will check there. Yep. Absolutely fantastic. Well, I give you my number one, Kevin. One, one, number one. Here we go. Number one. My number one comes from a film. Oh, that's good. You're already on the right track. I, I, well, I said, you know what? I, I'm going to stick with the films. But it's not from this century. It's from 1973. And it is a film directed by Fred Zinnemann. It is called The Day of the Jackal, which is from a book by Frederick Forsyth, which is also adapted by Kenneth Ross. It is a fantastic procedural Another one I have not seen. Oh, Kevin, I can't wait for you to watch this. (laughs) Edward Fox plays the hitman, and he is tasked with assassinating a high-ranking French official. I won't say who it was. I don't want to spoil this for you. Okay. This is a film that has no soundtrack. Keep in mind, I saw the remake with Bruce Willis and Richard Gere and Jack Black, and all I can remember from that film was the the gun turret scene. That's all I can yeah, remember. They, there's a scene similar to that in this, um, but it's it's just classier and better and simpler. Um, yeah, there, there's there's very little correlation between the Jackal and the Day of the Jackal, trust me, honestly. Okay. Good. Edward Fox plays the hitman. He's a merciless, amoral assassin. We watch him as he goes through the mechanics of acquiring a hit, a contract, and then slowly acquiring all the bits and bobs that he needs to take out the assassination. So this is an international plot. And on the other side, we have a detective played by Michael Lonsdale, who is on his trail. It is a fantastic film. When did you see this film? Oh, when I was young. I saw it like it was on TV. It was one of those films that you just randomly see one night and it sucked me in. It will suck you in. Yeah. And the scene, I'm not going to spoil the scene because... You haven't seen it, and I know other listeners haven't seen it, but the whole film builds towards the assassination moment. And what's so excellent about that is, again, the procedure of it, how how he acquires his equipment, how he infiltrates this incredibly well-protected area of the city and that tension of the the moment where the assassination is going to take place itself. I can't spoil it for you. I don't want to spoil it for you. I want everyone who hasn't seen this film to seek it out and enjoy the day of the jackal. This was the sixth attempt on the life of President de Gaulle. In desperation, the OAS terrorists hired a professional killer. His code name... The, the whole movie is just like one great assassination scene. It's fucking class. It really is. My number one. Ten, ten, number ten. Nine, nine, number is the Passion of the Christ. <laughs> oh, it's God. the execution of our Lord Jesus. I loved uh, it. Very I good. Re- no. <laughs> very good, very good. You talked about Don Corleone and I am also going to talk about Don Corleone. Oh. But it is the son. It is Michael. And it's oh. from The Godfather. It's the killing of yeah. Salazzo and McCluskey. And it is the moment where Michael crosses the Rubicon and becomes yeah. his father. But he's doing it to secure the family. His father was almost killed. And now he is going to take care of those who are responsible. And when I was thinking about all of the moments where you get to see somebody pull the trigger, this is one of the best I think you're damn, damn right. I was briefly thinking of that scene and I, and, I, and, I, and I went, oh no, I'll go a little bit different. But I love that scene as well. And I love how we have almost a rehearsal of that beforehand and how... Yeah, again, like a heist. 
like a heist, how this is going to move, the, the, the gun's going to be here, you're going to get the gun. Throw the gun yeah. away. And how morally conflicted he is in that moment. You can see in his face he does not want to do this. But his eyes, yeah. Fucking brilliant performance. And I can just see the police chief's face when that shot goes into his neck. Excellent pick, Kevin. Really good pick. The other ones I would mention on my mm. honorable mentions list, Three Days at the Condor, the opening at the embassy, all of Robert Redford's colleagues are killed. Mm-hmm. That's how you start the movie with a bang. Also the parallax view at the rooftop restaurant and double indemnity where the murder happens off screen. It's in the back seat, where it's all played off of Barbara Stanwyck's face. As we were talking, there were so many coming to me that I thought, oh, what about this one and that one and this one? What about you? I remember really enjoying In the Line of Fire. That's one, again, a procedural one where you don't really see the, the assassination take place, but I enjoy following John Malkovich's character as he as he pursued his target. The bodyguard, when Kevin Costner <laughs> foils the attempted assassination yeah. of Whitney Houston. <laughs> Zoolander, the assassin, attempted assassination of the Malaysian president. <laughs> and Road to Perdition, because Tom Hanks plays a hitman in that. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. That's a really good movie as well. There's so many. Yeah. There's so many. Yeah, we, we could keep going on. And that's the end of this episode because I don't <laughs> want to edit anymore. <laughs> that's it. You can cut all those out, Kevin. I think we killed it, Will. We did. This is officially a crime scene. It is. Now we got to get on with the business because this has been our penultimate episode of the season. And now we got to find out what the final one is. Okay. I, I briefly clicked on an episode uh, just to check that things were working. And it was our final episode from season one. And we kept talking about it as if it was our last episode ever. Oh, I do remember that. It was like, um, so Will, how was this for you? Looking yeah. back, did you think we'd make it this far? Oh my yeah. God. Jesus, we were so green. Oh, we were All right, so, let me so spin green. it. And it is spinning. I can hear it. I can hear it. Did you change the, did you oil the wheel or something? I did. Fair play to you. Use the oil. I used chip fat. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Best adapted video game scene. Oh, great. <laughs> that's a that's slim pickings. There aren't many video game movies, are there? <laughs> there, there well, there's there, there's a Tron. There's there, there aren't that many. There's not as many. Like, listen, Is listen, Tron listen. based on a video game? No, I don't think it's based on a video game. Oh, wait, no. Okay, let's, let's qualify this. These are based on real video games. So this is like best adaption of Shakespeare for instance right yeah I'm comparing yeah. video games to Shakespeare <laughs> holy shit yeah this is going to be difficult okay. because we had films like anyway we'll, we'll get into it next week Kevin I've got homework to do for my last <laughs> week I have so much homework to do I have to see that Uncharted film that looks like um, very good I'm looking forward to it though. the last episode of I season 3 too. another season almost in the bag fantastic stuff oh that's good our final big yeah. boss battle is video games. Ooh. Oh, the puns. My God. A wonderful. Well done. Back next week for our last ever episode. <laughs> <laughs> ever. See ya. <laughs> All right. Good luck, folks. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you very much. And we will validate your parking if you just bring us a ticket up to the front desk. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> yeah. Bye. Good luck. Best Bits Podcast is produced by Will and Kevin. All audio clips and music heard in this episode is the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. If you have any notes, comments, scene suggestions, or just want to get in touch with us, email us at bestbitspodcast at gmail.com. I don't have a hole. And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show, the full episode plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. Many bits. Another new episode of this Patreon podcast. Exclusive. The best bits podcast with Will and Ken. content for you, That's right. This is for you. Kevin, how are you? Hi, honey, how are you?
oh, you know, I've got this, I've got my corns sorted out. I went to the Chiraptist the other day and uh, she Your said, corn? To, my corns. Did you, ever get, did you ever get corns? No. Did you know what a corn is? Yeah, it's a bunion on your foot, isn't it? Yeah, like in between your toes and stuff like that. Do you, um, do you not wear any shoes like around the house? You walk no, barefoot? I, I, I wear, no, it's the opposite. GA shorts. It's the opposite. I wear incredibly tight shoes. Like those Chinese women. Oh. Who get their feet bound, who had their feet bound, like, you know, before the turn of this yeah. last century. And so they had incredible corns and bunions. This is a great opener for a mini bits episode where we get people disgusted. <laughs> Squally, it's episode 73 of the mini bits. <laughs> I'm Kevin, your Will. This is yeah. our Patreon podcast. Thank you to all our lovely patrons. Yeah. A few of you have jumped in recently. I don't know what we said. We try to goad people into joining up every single episode. And then every so often, it's like a lot of people join because of one specific episode. And yeah. I'm like, what did we, how did we say it? What did we say on that episode? It's different <laughs> to the other 270 episodes. Maybe it doesn't sound as desperate. Maybe we said, don't join. Maybe reverse psychology. That's how we should do it. Reverse psychology. Don't join up to our patron. Don't. <laughs> cancel. You don't des- Everybody cancel. <laughs> you don't deserve to be in this group. We don't want you. We don't we like don't the look need of you. you. We, don't, we don't need anybody. <laughs> it's just us. It's absolutely just us. Hey, should we tell people? We, we did, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't say it on mic especially so early. We did an interview with the Irish Examiner last Friday. We did. Yeah. And uh, how do you think yeah. I, how do you think I did? I, I, I think you did all right. Like you didn't interrupt me once. So I was <laughs> delighted with how I came across, but you know, there's no sort of time limit on this. We don't know when it's going to get posted. One of our friends was saying, Kathy at the cinema was saying that their interview with did they do the examiner as well? It was six uh, months yeah. before it posted. And, and the Guardian, I'm pretty sure. They're they're profiled in the Gar- Guardian as well. Yeah, but we don't do any really promotion. Like nah. we don't do anything. Well, this is our first time getting any sort of like proper coverage, which is gonna be mad. So um uh listen to all you listeners who have uh, found us before we explode. You're 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 before an OG. Bust. You're an OG listener before Kevin starts getting gold chains from all his Patreon dash. I think I'm more of a silver than a gold. I think oh, yeah. my uh, undertones suit more silver. But, uh, yeah. I just want to die. Those I, are my Prince Albert. Uh, <laughs> your hat? <laughs> yeah. I Speaking want of, of which. I want one of those diamond studs in my tooth. That's all I want. So I can go bing whenever I'm on a call. Oh, uh, yeah. Bing. I usually just, you know, wink and like glitch. Yeah. Like starlight twinkle. <laughs> speaking of which, I interrupted you. What, what, we, what, did, what did you want to speak of, which? Start the timer. Oh, I forgot. You may as well. Start the timer. They, all, all these lucky loos are listening in and, and they're wondering, what are we going to be talking about? But we have to start talking about them after. Yeah. We, we say goodbye. But look, I wanted to talk to you about, um, well, you've seen a few things. You've seen the new Godzilla film. Yes. I've seen the first Omen. Uh, I saw Scoop as well. That, oh, uh, we're looking Netflix forward to watching thing. that. Very soon. Okay. Okay. I'll save my thoughts. And right. um, what else did I see? I made notes, but sure. It doesn't Jeez. really matter. I think I saw it. And I was going to go through all the summer releases and see what oh, takes your fancy. Okay. Okay. I'm looking forward because I don't actually know what's what's on the horizon. So um, I'm Well, the Joker 2 trailer came out today. I saw it. Yes. I watched that. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of Chicago. Yeah, it's kind of like you see it's all very much in the mind's eye. It, they're calling it a jukebox musical. Am I right in saying that? I think you're right in saying that. So, like, hey, listen. Uh, I, I actually, what it, what it did remind me of <laughs> was that I want to watch, rewatch The Joker because I saw it in the cinema and I thought it was fine. I thought it was fine. It was a kind of a bold new direction. Uh, I'm just going to go back and watch the episodes from the Batman 66 show, the Joker episodes. Oh yeah, that's going to be... Just to fill me in like on the lore, get up to speed. Get you right up to speed. (laughs) (laughs) And you'll be there going, where where are all the guys in the purple suits with the masks? When are they going to show up? And like... It's a bit of a weird time though, where we have the Penguin TV show with Colin Farrell coming out, which is a totally different canon version of the Penguin. Then you have this offshoot of 
Joker, which is its own universe entirely. Mm. And then you have the old Batman films that you can watch. Right. And, uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just, I don't know. I'm kind There's of so many IP. But like this, just everywhere. What, well, what's happened is the world, the comic book world has very much entered the, the film world. It's where you could have different runs, totally different runs of a character by it's different insane. authors. And there would be totally different riffs on it and stuff. Oh, oh this is the insane. thing. Kevin, so I'm only catching up on this. You mentioned it to me on a on a pod, on a podcast. Wait, was it on one of those? Uh, it was the last. Show? It was the last mini bits. Uh, you, you said everyone's describing stuff as insane recently. And have you started noticing it though? Only, only, only with people trying to raise you. That's the only type, only where place where I've noticed people. No, people under score are trying to every, raise oh you. Oh my god! Oh my god! I could start posting though, like, um, tweets, comments, TikToks. Uh, articles, anything insane is everywhere. This is insane. That's insane. It's insane. There was a festival just going on about this insane lineup. Okay. I was like, oh, it's a mentally ill lineup. Okay, <laughs> it's just it's it's everywhere. And the other, th- do you know the other thing that's also bothering me lately? Wow. wow. And this has been bothering me for years and years and years. It used to be that everyone used to misspell definitely. They'd go defiantly. Okay. Oh, it's defiantly whatever. They would just they're morons. But no. <laughs> I just keep noticing everyone keeps spelling a lot as one word, A-L-O-T, a lot. Where has, where have they gotten into their heads that a lot is one word? It's the same way that people will write every time as one word. What's the one that you've, you've pulled me up on a few times and I can't get it right? Compliment. Compliment. I can't, (laughs) but I can't get it right. It's like the you I. Because I told you the other day. Yeah, and I went searching for it and I couldn't find it because I had to actually had to an, use it. If there's an I in compliment, it's yeah. I'm paying you oh, a compliment. That's a good way to remember it. Okay, good. And then compliment. I, I wrote that to you. But you did. And I went to try and find it because I was I found myself writing the word compliments. And I went, shit, Kevin. But, I, but you, you gave me a thumbs up, which meant in my world that, yeah, I read that. Thanks. But I did, right? I'm talking about a couple of days later when I was faced with the exact same hurdle of writing the word compliment, I went, okay, what did Kevin say again about compliment? There's an I and the E. What did he say? So I went searching for it and I found it, I think. And I went, oh, the I is paying me a compliment or I'm giving you a compliment. It's insane how little you can retain information. It's insane. (laughs) Come here, let's start talking about what we watched. Come on. Did you start the timer? Yeah, it's it's gone. It's ticking. It's ticking down. The world's going oh, to explode. You know, I have to put in the sound effect. I have to. I have to line oh. up all my sound effects. When you said start I the timer, like, I have a whole it's... fucking. I have a whole soundboard. Here. Ah. Okay. Jesus Christ! Where's me fucking? What? Where's me ding dang ding? Here we go. The timer has started. There we go. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Right. 